0: Everybody, this is Shane Douglas Keene and um, sorry, I've been drinking. That's not the opener. Um, <laughs> hey, everybody, this is Shane Douglas Keene and I've been drinking with Rich Duncan, and he's right here with me. Uh, and tonight we're talking to John Mantooth. Uh, I don't know a lot about his books as John Mantooth, except for this one that we just read called Shoebox Trainwreck, which is. As much as I've read it, yeah, it's well. You know, he, this guy could probably kicked Hank Early's ass. I'm thinking. <laughs> 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 but Problem. yeah, he, yeah, he's written he, the Earl Marcus books as Hank Early. He's written uh, a lot of horror as John Mantooth by now, I think, um, and other works. Um, and so, uh, how are you doing, John?
1: I am doing well. Um, <laughs> that's happened again. And if uh, you hear dogs in the background, uh, they, that's me. They no just, worry. The one downstairs has already decided to start barking, but the All one right. in the room with me is quiet so far. But
0: I say if you hear sirens or gunshots in the background, that's just me. <laughs> 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 just, just one of those things that you live with in the city. <laughs> oh, honey, get down again. Uh, anyway we've done we did this before but i think we have like five more listeners than we had the last time you were here um so why don't you go ahead and give us the spiel this time from the john mantooth point of view uh okay about yourself
1: yeah so i um the, the uh, first book I published under John Mantooth was Shoebox Train Wreck and I published it way back in 2012 with a, um, I guess, now sort of controversial uh, publishing outfit mm-hmm. the And the um, key it And it was a collection of short stories that came out, and I was very proud of it. And uh, shortly after that, I published um, my first novel uh, called The Year of the Storm, and it came out with Berkeley, and um, I guess uh, did not. Well, I don't guess. I know it didn't sell very well. It didn't sell up to expectations. And um, but as publishing being what it is, uh, I ended up uh, making a change because I wanted to keep publishing. And then I uh, started publishing under Hank Early, which is my pseudonym. And I've sort of separated the two into Hank Early is more of the crime writer and John Mantooth more of the horror writer. Um, but we'll see with this next book I've written, because it's it's definitely horror, and uh, we'll see which, which direction it goes. I, it's going to be up to the publishing gods, I guess. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
0: well, one thing I can tell everybody listening, um, whether you're a John Mantooth fan or a Hank Early fan, both these guys are equally as good. So... <laughs> yeah. because they are the same guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> but <I appreciate> it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah so um john i wanted to add you had mentioned um that you had released uh shoebox train wreck um back in 2012 um and i noticed um like when i was reading it like in the front not only you know did it say this edition you know is new, um, like you had previously published it in 2012, but the one that, that is out now through Alief Press, it says it contains different stories. And I was just curious if um, you could kind of walk us through, like, what made you decide to um, pick new stories for this edition? And what was that process like? Because I saw a lot of the stories, you know, they were, you know, all from around kind of that time period, like 2012, 2013. And I was just curious, you know, what was it like also for you going back and like maybe reading those stories again or if you even tweaked any of those stories again?
1: I I did. And that was a real I mean, it was a real trip, honestly, because it felt like almost reading a different person's work because it it, Mm -hmm. had been it had been a long time. I wrote most of those stories probably from 2000, maybe six to 2011. And then I'm looking at it again in 2020, so I mean it's been nine, nine, ten or more years for a lot of those stories. So I was, a, you know, I was a different person then, but but I found that most of them I still really liked, and, and the ones I didn't, I just cut them, and I just said I'm not going to put them in this edition. And um, and as far as adding stories, I really have not written a lot of short stories after that collection. So basically, I added the two. Or three, I can't remember. It was two or three, two two or three short stories that I had written and published. Um, I didn't add anything that I had not published. Um, so that was a pretty easy decision. And one of the stories, uh, uh, it's called "The Chicken Farmer and His Boy." Um, I had actually pu- published with Steve Berman at uh, who lethe is the publisher of the of the collection, and he had published it in one of his anthologies um, a few years back. So that was kind of an easy fit. He, he wanted to, to republish that one again. And then I think I grabbed one that I had published at a now defunct crime magazine or online magazine called the big click. Um, it was around for maybe a couple of years. Uh, that. uh, Nick Mamatos was the yeah. editor at the time. And, uh, we're just a real short story, um, with a long title. <laughs> and, uh, and so I threw that one in there, too. And I think I think that was about it. I think I maybe cut two stories and added two stories, something like that. Uh, so it wasn't really that demanding a process, but but it was a really eye opening process for me to go back and read those stories. And I actually think it helped me as a writer now because I, I felt like I sort of rediscovered, you know, just a more pure version of myself um, that wasn't trying. that wasn't I didn't when I was writing those stories, I didn't give a damn about you know writing for a market or writing for public well i mean i guess i wanted to get published sure but i wasn't i didn't have that little voice kind of in the back of my head saying nobody's gonna like this or nobody's gonna publish this yeah. i just i just wrote them and so that's kind of helped me i think sort of rediscover my voice to some extent so it was it a was really good good thing overall um, and it's, it. I mean, and it's your art, you know, you reserve the right always
0: once the rights revert to you to do whatever the <laughs> fuck you want. With right. That. So yep. if yep. you can see a way to make it better, then by all means.
1: Yeah. And um, it, I didn't quite I, I realized I didn't quite answer that question about how much I edited them um, lightly, very lightly. Uh, there were just a few you know, here and there and some of the stories I might have found something that sounded kind of clunky to me now. And I and I fixed it up. And then there were Canadian spellings, uh, and I'm not even sure if Steve if I'm not sure how that wound up. Uh, <laughs> in, in the Cheezine version, you know, they're a Canadian publisher, and they had done certain words with Canadian spellings. So I tried Thank to you. catch a lot of those when I was going through them. But I also asked Steve, you know, if he could catch some. And and honestly, I haven't I haven't really gone back to study to see if yeah. the Canadian spelling stayed or not, but. I would rather talk than, about it, like yeah. color being spelled with a U and things like that. Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, when I was writing for Horror DNA, they made me punctuate UK style. It drove me nuts. I'm
1: it's, not even familiar with
0: the difference there. So what was the what are the punctuation differences? Punctuation outside quote marks. Oh, yeah, yeah that was like, nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> Went it, against when everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> it's like, every time I had to do that, it was like, oh God, this is wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah, that would but that would kill me.
0: Oddly though, I have to I have to counsel myself on the spelling of words like color because I just mm-hmm. I reflexively write them with that U. Oh, okay. Wow. I have no idea why, but I always have to remind myself that that's not how we spell it. <laughs> <laughs> and I do the same thing with gray I
2: always spell it G-R-E-Y yeah, yeah. I can never keep that straight
1: <laughs> I think G-R-E-Y actually sounds better I mean I just yeah. that's a version of gray I think it makes more sense yeah as far as the sound goes But
0: or, and, and aesthetically to me being a poet I always like the way certain words look right <laughs> right
2: Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say um like uh what you had mentioned earlier John about um how you it was almost like reading a stranger's words like I find I always like asking um writers kind of that question about If they ever go back and read their work, whether it be for a collection or just in general, because it's always I always love hearing kind of their experiences with it. Um, Like some people, they're like, you know, no, that stuff goes in a drawer never to be seen again. (laughs) And then others, others, you know, um, like we had uh, Gemma Moore on the show and she had kind of mentioned how like she'll save like everything. And then, you know, maybe a story wasn't working for her a couple years ago. But now that, you know, she has more experience or something like that, she rereads it. And then it's like, oh, you know, I can work this into what I'm working on or even just finish it. And I was wondering, you know, not just with your collection, but in general, if you've ever had moments like that.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I once I publish something, I'm, I usually don't go back to it. Um, because it's, you know, all I'm going to do at that point is see things wrong with it. But now if it's something that I haven't published, uh, I'll go back to stuff like that to reread it and see if I can still use it just like you were talking about. Uh, and, and I have it occasionally been able to reuse things. Um, did you guys cut out? Because something changed on the. No, I'm still okay. here. OK, I, I I was hearing I was hearing like a, a sort of steady static and all of a sudden it stops. So I thought maybe That's... I cut out.
0: Yeah, so. that's me. I, I, I've been muting my mic in between oh, talking because my
1: fan is doing that. Oh, that's the fan. OK. I yeah. yeah. Uh, no worries. Um, but uh, yeah, but maybe I should because I found it so enjoyable to read. And I think part of it was time because, you know, you need you need that perspective of time, I think, because to, to not be so critical. Um, you know, if I go back and reread one of my novels that's come out in the last know four or five years i feel like i would just cringe at stuff you know and be critical and there's nothing good that could come of it um but in this case uh it, there had been so much distance i felt like i was re-communicating with a, the younger version of me and and it, it was it was pretty cool i mean i'm not gonna lie to you it was ve- it was very cool i enjoyed i enjoyed every minute of it so that's one good thing that came out of the whole uh cheesing um Disaster was me getting to revisit those stories and getting a cool new cover with and a, and a second life with with Lethe. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's maybe three good things. Um, and they're a good publisher too. I've uh, been
0: a I've been a fan of Leth for a long time. Yes. Um, yep. Great guys. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, you were talking about how you know revisiting the stories and whatnot and kind of kind of like revisiting yourself and your youth um and you had said you know you weren't really writing to an audience or a market or anything like that which is basically how I write everything because otherwise it gets in my way yeah um but uh were you thinking back then about genre when you started writing or did you just write these stories and they became what they became um and oh. before I the reason I asked that is because you i mean you bend and break the hell out of genres all the time in your stories you know And it's like okay were you yeah. thinking about that did you do that intentionally or is that just the story
1: i think the only thing that that really that ever was intentional for me is is i've always just been drawn to dark stuff and, and then so i was writing whatever story hit me and and, and it we, they would usually just turn dark but no i wasn't really thinking about genre too much if at all um when I was writing those, it's so interesting because one of the things I remembered about that time period in my life is, and you guys may, may say, Oh, well, no kidding. After reading some of the stories, but uh, <laughs> I was driving a school bus at the time. And, um, and so I, w- and, and if I, I, if I told y'all this before, in one of my other conversations, mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, but I'll, I'll run you through know. it quick again. Uh, so, that's where I wrote a lot of those stories was driving the school bus um, because there were, especially in the early mornings, because kids get on the bus, they're super quiet in the mornings. They're tired. They basically get down there, sit down in their seat and they, they fall fall asleep. Um, I'm driving around all this, to me, what is beautiful country because I teach in a, in a, well, at the time, it was a very rural school system. It's changed a lot in the last 10 years. And now we've, we've come become more suburban but there's just all this beautiful landscape and and as i'm i'm keeping myself awake by just everything i see on the landscape i'm thinking about stories and um that i'm so many of those stories came out of just just driving the bus and and i often think about now how i sort of miss that in my life like there's rarely a time in my life now where i just have no other inputs coming in whether it be like the internet or social media or watching a tv show or even reading a book where i'm just my mind can just be blank like it was for like because the route was an hour in the morning an hour in the afternoon and it's true the afternoon was a little bit more chaotic with the kids being loud but there were still a lot of times where i could just focus and just think and um i miss that and i should probably make time for that now make myself still have that time but But I really don't. My only time like that now is when I actually sit down to write. But I think I think there's that's I'm I'm worse for that, for not having that time where I'm not focused on writing. I'm not focused on anything but but driving a vehicle and letting my mind wander and looking around me, that sort of thing. So and I get that. I used to do that with
0: especially when I was still writing songs, I, I would actually get in my car and drive for the purpose of brainstorming and spitballing them, you know, yeah, um, and I, now I don't drive anymore because I hate driving, um, <laughs> but, and I live in a city where I don't need to, Yeah. but, um, I, uh, I still make myself go out and walk and open my mind a little bit, you know, kind of a little walking meditation to get my
1: words going yeah, or I just got stuck. A good, that's a good way too, and I and I still yeah. do that sometimes too, but not as much as I should. Yeah, Life's either. Got, like, it seems and a lot more like we said a lot more stimulus out there than there was 10-15 years ago
0: well and even in your own yard just going out and spending a little time working in the yard and your brain is doing other things while you're doing that because it's it's mindless work you using know? it you're getting yeah. into it. it's something i hate is
1: <laughs> <It's> yard work <laughs> well not, work. i meant
0: selective yard work like today <laughs> today i went out and got my barbecue ready for the season
1: oh Um, that's good yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) if you ask me to mow the lawn i'm probably busy
2: that's that's my (laughs) son yeah kind of like you guys. oh go ahead sorry
0: oh i was just gonna say i've always but i was that guy even when i was a kid if i heard if i heard you mention the lawn before you saw me i was gone Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: For <laughs> the birds, people yeah. are too caught up in. And I don't know how it is where y'all live, but here people are too caught up in perfect yards. Yeah. And I'm just like, let the grass grow a little bit, you know? Yeah. It. It's okay.
0: We have uh in Oregon, we have this interesting mix of people like that who, you know, basically go out with a fucking ruler and measure the height of their grass, <laughs> and, you know? Um, and then we have other people who who choose the 100 percent natural way and their yards are like these massive green spaces that must they must spend their entire lives maintaining you know right Mm -hmm. you know i'd rather just chop it down and walk away from it personally but yeah (laughs) (laughs) every few weeks yeah yeah exactly (laughs) anyway sorry i digress (laughs)
2: I was just going to say, like you guys said, um, you know, I used to drive a lot for work and kind of like that, you know, quiet time where you can just uh, let your mind wander, not only just like your own imagination, um, but like just stuff you kind of see out and about. Like, I don't know, uh, you know, how long your route was, John, but like um, where I live in like central New York, um, I used to drive, you know, all the way up north, like towards like Vermont you know down in like the southern tier the adirondacks and i've seen some wild stuff like uh, up more towards the northern part in a rural area there was a guy who for whatever reason he just littered his front lawn with like toilets and they were just <laughs> painted all different colors and, and then all- um <laughs> yeah it was weird but then there and then in the like adirondacks region like it was so creepy. I saw like this tree and like this person had just nailed like a whole bunch of shoes around it. And I'm just like, how, how do you, how do you come up with that? But I was just wondering, like, I don't know how long your uh, route was, but if you ever, you know, you know, saw anything while you were driving that maybe was a little bit strange and inspired you or, you know, just something strange that you've seen.
1: Yeah. uh, Not really strange, but I saw, I saw communities and, and, and people that, that, that definitely interests me Um, that and then, and then my imagination kind of went from there. Uh, I used to pass a, um, a storm shelter. You can kind of see the the top of in somebody's yard. And, and there's a few every now and then you see one of those in Alabama. They're probably not as prevalent as they are like maybe out in the, in Kansas Nebraska, like the plains areas, but there's definitely, you know, you see occasional storm shelters and that, really activated my imagination. And that was a mm-hmm. huge part of my novel. The year of the storm was the, was the storm shelter and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, train tracks, uh, were all over my route. Actually the, the city, uh, the, the city that my school's in is sort of known for its, uh, train trains and tracks. And so that, that kind of worked its way into, to several of the stories. Um, trying to think of anything oh well there was this one place and it's not really creepy but i ended up putting in the, in in a, in a story at least one story they call it um they call it round round the mountain that's just what they called it and uh, i it was kind of this it, i didn't see a mountain but i had to this wasn't on my route but uh, i this was uh i think before because this is getting complicated but before i had a full route i did a half a route which was like i just drove in the afternoons But I would do some sub routes in the mornings for bus drivers who were out. And I had a sub route one morning where I had to go to round the mountain. And I'd always heard people talk about it, but had never been there. And it's a really sort of poverty stricken little area. And I I never saw a mountain, but there is this big bend you take in the road to get around there. And I I just remember seeing the, the trailers in there and just how, I mean, it was rough. And, and I thought these, these are some of the kids that are coming to my school. Um, and you just, I didn't know that about them, um, uh, because you mm-hmm. see them at school and you just see them there, but you don't know what they go home, home to. And I think that was definitely something that, that worked its way. That sort of sense of, of desperation that I saw when, when I went through there, definitely worked its way into a lot of the stories that, um, and I think I might even use that term round the mountain in one of the stories, but. Um, that's always stuck with me. Um, you mentioned New York, Rich, um, sort mm-hmm. of rural, New York. if y'all don't mind me just telling about my one experience up there, Um uh, yeah. buddy went, uh, we went on a trip up East, uh, ultimate destination was Maine. Um, but this was sort of a road trip we took in our twenties before either one of us were married. And, um, we, we camped sort of outside of Cooperstown. okay yeah remember is that central i mean i just remember it was away from new york city and in my whole opinion of before all i knew about new york before i went up there was new york city so when Mm -hmm. we went to cooperstown to see the baseball hall of fame and we had a little campsite outside of the town i was sort of shocked at like how rural it was and 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 it was sort of spooky i thought our little campground up there just um I mean, it reminded me a lot of Alabama, I guess is what I'm getting getting yeah. at, uh, which surprised me some. So uh, apparently New York's got a lot more rural type areas than I was expecting from from down here. Um, and we did have a, a sort of strange experience that night at the campground because uh, we were we just set up the tent, um, sort of gotten settled in and we hear this just crazy sound. Uh, sounds like a. Uh, I would describe it as a person trying to imitate a wild animal. And it was probably like 20 yards from the tent. And there were no other tents around. We were, we were the only tent within like anywhere we could see at that campground. I'm not sure there's anybody else at the campground and it was just this crazy cackling kind of scream. And and we just both kind of froze and looked at each other. It's like, what what was that? and we got out of the tent and we kind of shined the flashlight around. Didn't see anything, but it sounded like it had come from very close. And there were some kind of bushes and shrubberies kind of where we were thinking it had come from. And we kept hearing rustling in there. And I'm not ashamed to admit that we threw the tent in the back of the trunk. And, got out of there. and uh, we still talk about that, because we just had never heard anything sound like that. And I'm sure it was probably a person trying to scare us, but that's, mm-hmm. that fucking scares me right there. Why is a person messing with us, you know, for no reason like that? But anyway, that's my, that's my rural New York experience I'm sorry. Just, just No, no. About that.
2: Yeah, no, I thought that was cool because I, uh, yeah, I know exactly where that is and it is kind of like more central, but it's a little bit, uh, more East, but yeah, some of those, some of those places out there, um, you know, they, they have a definite, uh, like energy, like, um, we were talking to Laird Baron about that, um, because he lives in New York too. He lives uh, more like uh, South, I believe. Um, But uh, yeah, we were talking about how, you know, especially with like crime and stuff, you know, people think of New York, they think of like New York city or Buffalo, but there's large areas where, yeah, it's it's very rural. Like you said, um, you know, reading your collection, you know, even though it's a different state, a different part of the country, like a lot of those, a lot of your settings like i could definitely relate to those okay cool yeah but um yeah and too you know going back to your um your bus your bus driver uh, past i couldn't help but think of the very i believe it was the very first um story in shoebox train wreck um where um you know there's i don't want to spoil it but um you know, where there's a, the narrator, he meets like another young guy and, um, you know, kind of there, a lot of it takes place like on their bus, um, oh, yeah. their bus ride. And I was just wondering, like that sort of experience, um, you know, like yeah. where the driver has that kid help him back up. Did you take that from your yeah, own uh, career? I did.
1: I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that's actually a, something I should have brought up earlier when you were asking about inspiration because I did. I had this one turn where I had to go down this long dead end road and drop this one kid off. And, you know, uh, the only thing I could do after that is had to pull into his driveway and then I had to back the bus up. And when I backed the bus up, it went out kind of over. It was, I I exaggerated that it was over this river kind (laughs) of thing, but it did kind of go out over this little ledge and every, every day I had to get somebody to help me because You can't see. I mean, they may have cameras on backup cameras on buses now. I don't know if I haven't driven in years, but back then they certainly didn't. So you actually had to have a kid go stand at the window and, you know, you needed to find somebody you could trust, um, to do that. And you'd kind of have to back it around and, and then you could start back down back down the road. So absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's a perfect example of how the place was just really, um, inspired the story. Um, so yeah, I need to just get out and drive more around some rural places and I'll get more inspiration. I think. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. And um, I think it's funny that uh, you know, like you said, that you had the kids help you. I don't know, you know, how it was back then, but I remember, you know, my time riding the bus, and <laughs> I don't think our bus driver would have trusted any single one <laughs> to help him back up yeah yeah i
1: can <laughs> see that depending on the situation that was one thing back then is we had a real it's a re, it was a re, used to be a real small community like i said it's grown so much changed so much but uh, you kind of knew you know most of the kids you could you could pretty well trust them um for the most part now obviously i wasn't dealing with anybody like like i any of the characters in, in that story so thankfully
0: um sorry uh I'm kind of digressing a little bit here because I walked in mid-conversation because I had to step away for a second. Um, but uh, you were talking about, um, sorry. Oh, the place, the um, how, how much the place played into, you know, how much of an inspiration it could be to the stories. Um, and uh, that was just an observation I was making was that... Um, it's very crucial to every piece of work I've read of yours. You know, the two two yeah. most crucial pieces seem to be the characters and the setting, the atmosphere. You know. Yeah, I think pro-
1: probably every every writer has that thing that kind of kicks off their imagination. And yeah, I would say for me, it's almost always place. Yeah. Um, just yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it there. I mean, with the with the Hank Early stuff, the places is is a lot of my memories from from when i was a kid going to visit my grandmother in north georgia um yeah. and then so much of the collection is um is is places from the bus route and, and even on the bus the play you know the actual so much of the action happens on the bus um the latest thing i'm working on right now um is a sort of a road sort of story and it takes place on uh Highway 278, which is um, uh, a a place I've come to know a little bit more over the last few years because uh, my wife's family has a lake house up there. Uh And um, it's uh, 278 is sort of in the northern part of the state, and it's a very rural type area. And I sort of imagine a story where the main character who (laughs) – this is a little risky for me, but the main character is a 15 year old girl – and um, she is uh, trying to basically on foot make it to her grandmother's house. And we've got a Little Red Riding Hood <laughs> vibes there, but she's trying to get to her grandmother's house, uh, who lives across the county line. Uh, and she's being pursued by a very bad man and uh, some of his uh, companions. Um, and. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was definitely inspired by that place, by that uh, Highway 278, and and all the things that I've seen along the sides of the road there. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's it's place for me, and I think even I would say characters arise out of place in a lot of in a lot of cases for me. So, um,
0: and that's that's an interesting premise for you too. Um, I mean, because it's it, I have to applaud the courage to take that on, you know, the fifteen-year-old girl. Um, but at the same, I mean, at the same time, applaud the fact that you're at, that you're taking it on because nobody does. I mean, I've had so many people point out to me, you know, and most of them women, that there are very few people writing young women in coming-of-age scenarios or you know scenarios like what you just, right. you know, so yeah. It's
1: so- Risky because I think you I, I think I can get it wrong and 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 I may have gotten it wrong. I mean yeah. I'm gonna have to depend on right now. I'm depending on my agent. He he's he's on board. He does it. he he thinks I've got it, but eventually it's gonna you know we're gonna send it to some editors and and that they'll be the real test. But yeah, it, it wasn't really so much as a conscious decision. Is like oh I want to write from a 15 year old. It just sort of emerged like that once yeah. I sort of had the place and, and I started. I just sort of, I just sort of was hit with this idea about the place. And it, and it was a girl and it was a girl who had witnessed. She, she witnesses something, um, that she shouldn't have witnessed and knows she's got, she's got to go. And there's only one person that she knows that can help her. And that's her grandmother, strange as that sounds. But, uh, there's a supernatural aspect to the book. Her grandmother, I guess the best way might be to say, she's sort of a, um, uh, Southern, Folk uh, wizard. I mean, if that makes any sense, she's just sort of got the this okay. knowledge of the world that like that, a head uh, witch. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess you could say that. Um, and 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 her, the granddaughter knows that she's basically. And also, she seems like the only sane person in the granddaughter's life. She's got to get there, but she can't trust right. anybody. In as long as she's in the county, she can't trust anybody because. This particular man has so much power and influence over this small county. Um, so she's she's on the run. And um, yeah, it just it. But I guess my point in bringing all that up was that I didn't say, oh, let me write this from a 15 year old girl's point of view. It just it just sort of that's just who she was. And and, and as I was writing it, I kept saying, ah, oh, this is a good idea. This is a good <sighs> idea. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I pulled it off. We'll just have to see. You know, like I said, we'll have to see.
0: You also take that up a lot, too, that uh, the thing with, you know, the privileged and the power, powerful, rather, abusing their positions, you know, to pursue their own um, less than wholesome goals. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can't say in the Mantooth stuff so much, but in the Hank Early stuff, there's a lot of that where... You, you portray you portray the victimization of the privileged on the underprivileged very very well in most cases. Well, well in all pr- cases, sorry, uh, John. in most except for that one
1: time where it sucked, you know, John. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <what I> <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's just like all you have to do is is just look at our world right now, and yeah. I mean, it's 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 everywhere to me, and, and I'm very privileged. Okay, I'm, I mean I'm very privileged, um, in, in, in just about every way you can be privileged. Uh, but at the same time, I mean I think the the I have to I have to empathize with those who aren't, and that's that's you know part of, of telling a story is 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 trying to empathize with with those people, and trying to um, you know even if I, I mean, you know you look at the the Earl Marcus books, I mean Earl's pretty privileged himself. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways but he uh you know he he's sort of there to um he empathizes too i think I, I hope he does but but i hope he's also not coming across as just you know i'm i'm out here trying to be the savior for people either i think he's you know he's got his own struggles and he screws up um you know when he does try to help people sometimes so it's 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 complicated but but to me it's just look look at our world now and it's uh it, it's, it seemed very relevant, and that's what I see in our world so much. And, and maybe that's the way it's always been. You know, it's just it's the privilege taking advantage of the uh, non-privileged. I don't know.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think to a great degree it always has been, you know, just judging by the history books. <laughs> yeah. um, but especially in this country, I think that's always yeah. been a, a prime part of the structure of our country. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah.
0: Sorry, Rich, go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to say, you know, kind of on, like, that topic that you guys were talking about, um, you know, the privileged and the non-privileged, but also just, like, the setting. Um, I can't remember the exact years um, of the the Earl Marcus books, but, um, like, one of the stories – in this collection kind of reminded me of both those themes and that similar sort of a uh, setting. And that was the story on the mountain. And I was just curious if, if that story came before all those Earl Marcus books or if like, you know, came out, you know, kind of in the middle because I, it had the same kind of like feeling and that same sort of, uh, you know, setting and atmosphere.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think I wrote that story in about 2008, so it was it was well before Earl Marcus um, I was ever thought about or, or Hank earlier any of that. Um, I wrote that story um, because it, it and this was the other the the, the shoebox train wreck kind of had two sides to it. One was the bus drive, and the other was I was in graduate school getting a master's degree. And as a teacher, you can basically get a master's degree in anything you want to, at least in our state. And you still get a pay raise. Um, just You just have to have a master's degree. And so uh, I got my master's in creative writing. It wasn't an MFA, but it was a, a master's. And uh, so I was doing a lot of workshops at the time, having to write stuff on sort of deadlines for the workshops. And um, that was one of the stories I believe I had written yeah, I'm pretty sure I I did. I wrote it for one of my workshop classes, and um, so yeah, uh, that's uh that's about all I remember about that story. Actually, <laughs> uh, but the professor liked it. It was weird because in my classes, I had a really cool professor. He was just he was a good reader. Uh, he never really published a lot, but he wasn't one of those guys that like tried to talk about his. You know, he wasn't like. You know, sometimes you got you get a creative writing professor who maybe hasn't published a lot, but they try to act like they're better than everybody or something. He, he was just a, a good guy, friendly, very helpful and an excellent reader. And and he liked he liked my stuff. But it was so weird because everybody else in the class hated everything I wrote. It was just, <laughs> it was it was tough. But after class, he would say to me, don't listen to them. He's like, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And uh, <laughs> so he kind of got me through graduate school because, I mean, they were so mean about my stuff. And I was like, I didn't get it because because I'll be honest, I didn't like their stuff, the stuff they were writing. I just thought was so incredibly boring. And, but whatever. That that was years yeah. ago. So
0: Hmm. I had I had a very similar experience with a creative writing class where the teacher thought the story I turned in was really fucking good, and everybody else in the class thought I was a fucking morbid twisted motherfucker.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and is it possible they were both right? Uh, it is. It's absolutely. 100%. <laughs>
0: Uh, some people just don't get it, though. Why would you write that? Who would read that? Well, yeah. turns out quite a few get people that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. Uh, there was something else. Just because I don't want to forget this, and I will. Um, the uh, when it comes to portraying grief, that seems to be an important one to you as far yeah. as or because I mean, you're really really fucking good at it so you know it doesn't look like an accident that you're that you're that good at it you know
1: right well it, it's it, it may not be um yeah uh, in shoebox train wreck there's i probably should have mentioned this earlier there's there's two i guess you would say, call them creative non-fiction stories in there um and the last story is called uh, 13 Scenes for My 24th Year. And that's, I mean, that's completely true. So for for me, when I was, uh, I guess, 13, uh, this has just been formative in my life, I guess, when I was 13. And I know this is, now that I'm grown up, this seems like, you know, everybody goes through this. But at 13 and in and, and my teen years, it was it was tough for me. You know, we found out that my my dad had cancer at 13 and um, he he went on to live for probably 14 more years. But he was living through a lot of misery because they had um, they did experimental surgery on him. He had we flew him out to Denver, Colorado for them to try to remove the tumor. And they ended up removing his eye and he lost his hearing in, in one of his ears and uh then he couldn't swallow after the surgery and they still didn't get the the cancer and so he spent his last uh probably five six years just in utter misery he was just no quality of life and to top it all off probably his last four years he was dealing with my mom got cancer and um she ended up somehow dying before he died jesus Um, she she got brain cancer and took her really really fast and um this was this all started when i was 13 it all ended when i was about 25 and um it it was it was tough but i mean at the same time it was like my childhood before that was just so I, i had great parents i mean like i can't say anything bad about either one of my parents they were loving parents they raised me you know, to care about other people and to respect people. My dad was such a huge reader. He introduced me to reading. Um, so, I mean, I'm not trying to do a sob, any kind of sob story, but yeah, that's probably where that comes. Cause I, I do feel like that I experienced that kind of early in life, maybe earlier than some people. And, and so that that's been a part of my kind of formative years is, is dealing with some of that grief.
0: Yeah, in both in both the stories and this, um, there's a lot of it, and in uh, the Earl Marcus books, obviously, um, there there's quite there are quite a few scenes where you have some really really um, intense grief going on that you paint very well. Um, Rufus comes to mind a lot. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> and so yeah. yeah yeah sorry it was just an observation but i'm always fascinated by it because um i'm the same way i experienced a lot of grief early on and Uh, when when you write it um i feel it and that's that's uh, a really really good ability to have as a writer make makes make me feel something and i'll keep coming back
1: right well i appreciate that yeah yeah
2: yeah, I totally agree with you, Shane. And um, you know that there's a bunch of stories. Like I think I had tweeted about Shoebox Trainwreck, the collection, and I think I talked about how you know it was like it was like a lot of these stories are like emotionally like devastating. Like uh, there's two in particular. The one that got me the most where like I don't even really know how to put in the words, but um the story This is where the road ends. Um right. that one that one was the big one where that one really blew me away. Like I said, I, I still can't even put into words, but I just I felt like so sad and like just the you know, without spoiling it again, just the situation was just unimaginable. Um but also um shoebox train wreck the um titular story um, you know, where, um, cause like some of these stories, like Shane had mentioned earlier about, um, kind of like bending the genre, like mm. some of them kind of seem like, you know, in the case of the first one, this is where the road ends, maybe a little bit more, not necessarily like, um, crime, but more in line with that you know, style of your writing and then um shoebox train wreck, you know, it kinda has some of those elements, but then it has like that supernatural element, which
1: was pretty cool. Right, which I guess yeah. that's not really a question either, but <laughs> no, that's okay. No, I, I can talk about both of those stories if you want me to. Um those are uh, I love talking about both of those stories. The uh This is where the road ends um is is one of my favorites too, mostly because uh my daughter this year who is a senior in high school um her english teacher and and i had known this for a while but i kind of forgot until it came around this year her english teacher teaches that story actually it's not her english teacher it's her uh theory of knowledge teacher um so it's sort of like a philosophy class for seniors and um he teaches that story to him every year as an example of uh i think like ethical philosophy or something because uh, you know, what, what would be the right thing to do if, if, and I don't remember the guy's name, but if you're that main character at the end of the story, do you tell the woman who now is carrying your baby and who is in love with you that you ran over her child years earlier, or do you just continue to make her happy because she's happy at the end of the story? So there's actually, actually, uh, I guess an ethical question. And, and so I thought that was just, So cool this year when my daughter was in the class and she came home and said, Dad, we read your story today. And that was just that was just a great moment for me. As far as the um, shoebox train wreck story, uh, that was my first big success as a writer. I guess success is relative, but it was my first big success to me. It was because uh, Ellen Datlow took it for one of her anthologies, not a year's best, but it was uh, um, the anthology called Haunted Legends. And yeah, the theme, I, I, go
0: ahead. ahead. I was just gonna say I read that one. That was a good, good anthology and a good story.
1: Yeah. The theme, the theme for the anthology was um, urban legends. Um, you take them and, and make them new again, or, or just do, you know, do something with them. And and I just remember saying, hey, I can do this one because I had been thinking a lot again about the train tracks and um, I had been thinking about uh, that legend. Um, maybe not as well known as some of the legends, but the one about the, the little ghost that pushed the cars across the tracks, um, because that's where a train had been, a uh, train had hit a school bus. And, um, so, so I was able to, to write that one pretty quickly and then, uh, was a little surprised. And this, I mentioned Nick Mamatas earlier. He was actually a reader for that too. So he's, he's, he's helped me out a lot. He's, uh, he's helped me a lot in my career. I, I don't know, just different times thr- throughout, throughout. My career, especially getting started. He was kind of helped pull the trigger on some of my stories. Um, so, um, but anyway, Ellen liked it too. So they, they published it. And uh, so that, that made me feel good. That's
0: huge. Um, bucket list item for me is uh, having Ellen Datlow pick up a story of mine, or even just mention it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. You know, that's I, like, you're there at that point in time. Based on what I've I've not read your short fiction, but based on your poetry I've read, I think you're that may be your thing. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you spend more time on short fiction or poetry?
0: Poetry up by far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. a man.
0: <laughs> um, it's a passion. It don't. It doesn't pay much. It pays, you know, yeah. neither. Do, neither does fiction really. But um, I've yeah, sold a couple. Like nothing. <laughs> As far yeah. as I can. <laughs> yeah, we would. Well, I've made I've made three dollars for a forty line poem, and I've made a hundred dollars for a five line poem. So okay. go figure. It, it's around the. It's all over the board.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> I I wrote, I wrote like I think maybe five poems back at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know why. It's just like I was just writing poems, and I've been trying to get those things published since, and I can't get them published. So. I may hit you up sometime with some idea and some places to send them because I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a wall. Yeah. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to.
0: So I'm constantly researching venues to publish poetry. Um, and the, the thing with me is that I, I, it's okay. I don't make much money at the poetry aspect because I don't do it for that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Those, you say- I'd be doing it if I didn't make any fucking money at all. So, you know,
1: I, I'm, I'm, I did for 50 years. <laughs> that's a that's a damn nice benefit to get paid for your passion too, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It
0: kind of validates you a little bit, and it pays some bills. Yep. Or in my case, buys some whiskey. <laughs> 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 so, but enough about me. <laughs> this is your show, John. Oh, um, uh, no, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 'll be all uh, i'm I'm a little rusty because, as you know, I just took a break I was off for what four weeks, I think um and I just came back and did a solo show with Rich last week. It was really awkward as fuck and then this one I'm a little bit better but I st- still I came into this thing nervous like I was about to talk to Stephen King or something you know I, <laughs> I mean. Not saying that you're not awesome, and I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you. But,
1: you know I mean, yeah, they, every no matter how often I do anything, whether it be a podcast or a noir at the bar or whatever, online in person, I'm always nervous. I mean, that's just I think it may be the writer's curse. I don't know that I just always get nervous, and then after when it starts, I'm like, what well, was the fucking big deal? Yeah. Why was I yeah. so nervous? Exactly. Yeah. So I can, Only- I
0: Oh, there's our awkward silence. We've been waiting for that one. <laughs> uh, I, I totally lost my train of thought about what I was going to say there. So if somebody wants to rescue me, be my guest.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was I was getting ready to say something, but then I thought John was. I didn't want to step on it. <laughs>
1: I have nothing to say, but I can think of something real fast if I need to.
0: Oh, yeah, I can, too. Even if I have to make something up, i always have something to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
1: the other, uh, the other um, creative nonfiction was a story called James. And I got oh, yeah. super creative with, with that one um, because basically I took three people that I knew throughout my life. Was it three or two? Let me think. I can remember two of them. No, yeah. Three people that I knew throughout my life that seemed like complete outsiders to me, that seemed like they would never, ever find a place to fit in. And, and I really, I felt for all three of these people, but in at least one of the cases I found out when going back and kind of mining these memories, I found out I was sort of an asshole to one of the people. So that really kind of made me want to delve into like, what is it that makes you know, people sort of be assholes to an outsider. I don't know. I, I don't know. But there was definitely some guilt in digging through some of those memories. But I sort of framed it in in a way that they were all named James. I don't know why why yeah. I did that. Uh, but it sort of worked. Maybe I don't know. Um, so, uh, but I ended up taking like a, a student I was teaching at the time, who seemed just really just couldn't fit in with his classmates. I took um, a, a guy I knew in college who lived in an apartment above us and then I took uh, a guy that I, that was across the street from me when I was a kid and the guy that was across the street from me was a kid is a guy that I keep coming back to and wanting to write about and ever since I've started writing one of the very first stories I ever wrote. I, it was published in a magazine called futures mysterious anthology magazine. I think was what it was called. This was way back in maybe like 2003. Um, the story was actually called The Man Across the Street, and it was a sort of fictionalized take about that man. The reason he was so fascinating to me, and you may remember from the story, it mentions this a little bit, but he never spoke to anybody. And this was in Montgomery, Alabama uh, in the 1980s, where like you that was just almost like a rule. You had to say, hey, how are you doing or "Hi, how, you know, to everybody that you saw outside. I mean, kids had to do it. Adults had to do it. It was just the thing. This guy would just turn away. He would just look at you and turn around. He wouldn't speak to you at all. And, um, so he, he, that made him, that made him weird. Um, but then like he wouldn't cut his grass. It would grow up to three feet high in the summer. Um, and then one evening, uh, I woke up cause my bedroom faced his faced across the street to his house. And I woke up and saw ambulance lights outside. And they had somebody on a stretcher coming out. And I remember asking my dad the next morning, what what happened over there? And he said, oh, well, his wife died. And I was like, I didn't even know he had a wife. I mean, she never came out of the house. We'd never seen her before. But his wife died. And um, shortly after that was when uh, I noticed him at really, really odd hours in the, in the mornings, like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, he would get in his car and he would start driving around the block. And he would do this maybe... 30 times, and he would go like maybe three, four miles an hour, just circling the block over and over and over again. So I sort of became fascinated with him, still never really talked to him. He didn't talk to people. Um, and I would have friends from the neighborhood come spend the night with me, and they they had they knew about him, and they would say, let's, let's stay up to see the man across the street. So we would stay up, and we would watch him come get in his car and drive around the block, and we would make up stories about what he was doing or whatever. So, uh, sorry if this is long-winded, but y'all said you need somebody to talk. So, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> no, the, the, more, uh, the, the more long-winded, the happier we are, man. We
1: like yeah. all the information <laughs> we can get. So, cool. uh, one of those days, one of these, one of these days, this whole thing is going to be a novel. I swear, I'm going to write it. But, um, so years passed, and I lost, I lost interest because I became a teenager. And my interest was in, you know, we driving a car and girls and and different things like that. So I didn't pay attention to him, really. Uh, And then I went to college and I moved away. And it wasn't until probably I was in my 30s. I had not been back home much because my parents had died, as I already mentioned that. So I I was there's no need for me to go back home anymore. So but I happened to run into my old neighbor, not the guy across the street, but the guy next door to me. And uh, the first question I asked him when I saw him was, whatever happened to the guy across the street? And he knew exactly what, who I meant. He's like, oh, yeah, the weird guy never talked to anybody. And, and I said, yeah, well, whatever happened to him? Is he still there? And he said, you're not going to believe this. But about three years ago, he came comes over and knocks on our door. And we were we were kind of shocked because all the time he had lived across the street from us, he had never come over. He had never spoken to us, but he knocked on the door. And we went to the door, and he said, "I'm going to be going away for a while. Would you mind uh, picking my mail for me?" And they were like, "Well, yeah. I mean, where are you going? Is everything okay?" And he said, "No, I don't need to talk about that. I'm just going to be going away for a while. Would you pick up my mail for me?" And and he said, "Maybe if the yard, you know, needs cut, maybe you cut the yard." And I said, "Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll do it for you." And when I was talking to my friend, to my old neighbor, he said that was, that was three years ago. He said, we haven't seen him since he sees he says, we've got a big trash can in the in the back of the house full of his mail. He's still getting mail. So that that's that's just something that guy's just always fascinated me. I've always wanted to try to maybe fictionalize his story or, or tell his story, maybe from his point of view. I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the I guess the simple explanation is he was an outsider who didn't really fit in with maybe people or didn't. He was a loner. He did lose his wife. He went through a lot of grief. But there could also be a whole nother story there too, if I if I got creative with it. So, anyway. Oh, all, yeah,
0: all kinds of stories. There sounds like it's like my my brain just started tossing shit out there as soon as you started
1: talking about. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think every writer's got that one thing that sort of always been in the back of their mind. I mean, haunted might be a little bit too strong of a word here, but. You know, that that that's just kind of something that they want to write about one of the one of these days. And I attempted it not too long ago and it got a little out of hand and uh, I lost pretty much control of the whole manuscript. And it got a little crazy and I had to uh, realize that that wasn't going to be the one. And that's when I decided to go with the. Uh, the story I'm writing now, something a little. Simpler. my whole goal, let, let's go with something simple. This time, because that was getting too complicated.
0: And that's important, I think, too, especially, I mean, not for you so much as it is for like a younger writer, a newer writer. Um, I kept seeing I kept trying to make these short story calls. um, And I every time I'd start developing what I thought was a short story, it would end up being okay. this is either a fucking novella or a novel. You know, yeah. so bench that. And then I finally got through my head. OK, but the story is just a single moment in time. Basically, it's a single, you know, it's, it's basically you have to take that macrocosmic scenario and and shrink it down, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about short stories is they're so much easier for me to control. One of my problems with novel writing is getting to a point where I just sort of look at it like I've lost all control of this. I don't really know what to do now. And and that's, that's, that's a hard thing for me that I face a lot when I'm writing novels. Um, but with short stories, it's more just about like, do you have a voice? Have you kind of got a voice going, do you kind of know how it's going to end? And you just kind of can, can, yeah. can put it out there.
0: So, I'm not capable to I'm not capable of planning though. I never know
1: how anything's going to end. <laughs> I think that yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably okay in a lot of cases. Yeah. I think for me, I think I need a general idea of how it's going to end. But yeah, I don't want to know yeah. the whole ending because that that's where I, I sort of lose the excitement, but exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. That's what I was talking to a friend of mine who takes the same approach and it's just like with my novel um i haven't done any outlining or anything on it um just started writing you know um but uh a friend of mine that i was talking to said um yeah but for some people when you're when you spend all that time writing a complex outline you're you're burning all your creativity on the outline yeah you know and and for and i'm one of those people it just doesn't work for me
1: and it, yeah, it's definitely for some people because there are some that I know that just swear by the outline. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking to them, I just feel like I like we just don't understand each other. Yeah, oh. and
0: it's like, well, I mean, like Laurel Hightower, she's she swears by it, and it works well for her. Obviously, yeah. she's a damn good writer, so it, it yeah. definitely works for. for.
1: Yeah, nope. it happens when I feel like I lose control and I don't know where it's going and I don't know where to go back and fix it. But at the same time, when I've tried it the other way with the outline, the, the, the it's, it's crap when I have finished something. And usually I don't finish it because I get so bored so quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think writing for me and maybe for you and for a lot of people like us, it's almost just like it's telling ourselves a story. And if there's no surprises in that, we're going to stop telling that story. Yeah, you know, nothing to no excitement or uh Yeah, surprise, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, the only difference being that if you don't like the way the author is treating the story, you can make him go back and fucking fix it.
1: Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Um, That is is a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, go ahead, Shane.
0: Oh, sorry, I was just going to say we're getting close to the time when I'm going to have to cut myself off here.
1: Yeah. so and I'm don't I want to if I'm not careful I'll launch into another story so oh, you know what <laughs> out. <laughs> I always
0: I always start saying I have to get out of here 20 minutes before I have to get out of here because I talk way too fucking much to just keep laughing here
2: <laughs>
1: um, but, I, um, go ahead no. no
0: you go ahead. <laughs> I love, no, how, I
1: was, how you two guys meet? Huh? How'd you two guys meet? Oh
0: <laughs> uh, God, it was just basically on Facebook. I started writing okay. book reviews one time and then yeah. I and, and Rich was a book reviewer and seemed like, you know, a fairly fairly nice guy, so I approached him with some questions I had. And,
1: so and y'all, shit, I y'all, think, weren't, y'all weren't you weren't in person friends. It, it, yeah. It, um, okay.
0: Yeah, you know, we we uh, we're you know real life friends now, but yeah, it was at at first it we we st- we started out as a as a you know digital dating thing. We didn't go right.
2: There. <laughs> digital. <laughs> digital dating. <laughs> yeah, I think we've known each other what like going on seven years now since uh yeah 2014. Yeah,
1: yeah. score one social media. Yeah, uh, that's that's one that's one of the few things that I really really love about social media is that you actually do meet some real friends on yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. and, it yeah. While, so. And you also
0: meet you also meet some people who are real assholes too. Yeah. Sorry,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yep>. <laughs> sorry I, I'm a jaded motherfucker.
1: No, um, I, I, I'm with you. <laughs> I I, I honestly would probably be... I mean, you know what? I say this, and then the truth is, it's really not helping me any. But in my mind, I think I've got to be on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram because I'm a writer. But honestly, I I don't do much on it. It's not like I've got some kind of big following or something. So, I mean, it it wouldn't hurt me if I got off. I mean, honestly, I probably just... The reason I'm on is because I want to be. So I need to just admit that. But I'm not getting a lot out of it. I'll just put it like that. But I can't quite... With it either. So. And that's
0: I get. You know what I get out of it now these days is I go on there and I um, direct message with a couple of close friends that I have, and otherwise yeah. I spend about ten minutes on the timeline and get the
1: hell out of there again. Right, right. But you, um, you, you have a pretty big. At the same time, you, you kind of have at least on Twitter it seems like you have a pretty big audience or a pretty big what do they call it following? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. on Twitter. I mean, my stuff just goes on to the void when I, when I post on Twitter. And I know that's because I haven't done yeah. it right or whatever, but, uh, It's that
0: that, it's that thing I was telling you about where I talk too fucking much. The more you talk on Twitter, the more people, you know, it, it bumps you up. You know, people interact with it. And the more they interact, then you bump up a little farther. So, yeah, I don't get why people like me. But some people, you know, seem to be trying really hard at least.
1: <laughs> well, I, I like to be honest and and it, I'm, I'm not trying to kiss your ass but i think people like you because you do a lot for authors like that's you know yeah, yeah one of the things i i like about you i don't i don't know you that well personally but you just seem like you're always promoting people and always pushing books and, and i mean i think that's just I, I i suck at that stuff you know i i so but yeah, that's, that's gotta be one of the reasons you get. Yeah. And
0: it's kind of, and it's kind of, you know, one of the most important things I do is um, lifting up other writers because the reason, the reason I have finally started publishing my own work is because other writers lifted up, lifted me up, you know, yeah. and, uh, I feel like that's just karma kind of coming back around because, you know, i've done it a lot myself over the years right yeah yeah you know, um but it's when when someone comes to me and says hey man thanks for recommending that book it was really fucking good you know and i know they went and bought a book on my recommendation and helped out an author that i love and enjoy keep doing what they love and enjoy you know for me basically um, so, yeah, just having someone say, hey, man, it's really fucking this book was really fucking good. Thanks for recommending it. You know, that's kind of validating, you know, more than yeah. more, more than the author saying, hey, thanks for help. Thanks for spreading the yeah. word or anything else is having a reader say thank you
1: for that
0: kind of thing, you yeah. know.
1: And I am a strong believer in what I can tell the thing that sells books is word of mouth. It's not it's not a it's not an author himself going on and promoting their stuff. I mean, maybe occasionally I might sell one or two, but it's when people talk about your books, whether in person or on the internet or whatever, that's when I think you see more more sales. Absolutely.
2: I,
0: I would say, yeah, I would say that any reviewer who is also very, very vocal on Twitter sells far more books on Twitter than they do on their website. Right. Yeah for that very reason word of word of mouth is the way things sell. Even big five markets will tell you that, you know, they'll, they'll pay some on marketing, but after that, it's like, yes, yeah, spread the word.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cause I mean, I mean, I have, I have friends here in, in, in person friends, mostly what I think about when, you know, they say, Hey, you got to read this book. I'm going to take that seriously. You yep. know, or I tell them they're going to take that seriously um, more seriously. So,
0: yeah and you know and that's that's the thing though is, but you're honest about it you don't just you know because the author's your friend say hey this is a really good book you should read it you know because a lot of readers you only get to do that to them once and they'll never take another recommendation from you. you
1: know? yeah yeah and maybe i shouldn't admit this on a podcast i don't know Shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, that bad. it with a lot of my writing friends I've it's become sort of my practice okay. not to read their stuff as much mm-hmm. as I used to because it can be kind of like I don't I, I I hate telling people that I like something when I really didn't not mm-hmm. that I would automatically hate their stuff but if I read it and don't like it does that make any sense at all mm-hmm. like it, once, yeah. I, once I know somebody it's hard because then they expect you to read their stuff it it it, it depends but. Um, yeah, in some cases, I've I put off reading author stuff because, I like, I'm afraid I'm not gonna like that. But I really yeah. like this author, and we talk some. You know, anyway, I probably shouldn't have said that. But yeah, no, that's, that's no,
0: I I get it, man, totally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I'm sure people can probably do that with my stuff too. That, that I'm friends with, they're like, well, I don't want to read that, or maybe they read something and didn't like it, so they don't want to mention it to me, and, and that's fine. Um, but that's just, it's it's tough sometimes when you you like somebody as a friend and as a writer, but you don't know how to tell them that you didn't really dig their book. Yeah. So. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I, I try to never say whether I did or didn't like a book on a
1: podcast,
0: <laughs> you know, cause I don't yeah. ever want an author to say, so, so did you enjoy it? Right. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> well, you know, so, you know, it's kind of a policy with me. I don't ever really go there, you know, with an author and say, oh, I really love this book, unless it's something that I would 100% walk up to a stranger on the street and recommend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that makes total sense to me, because um, we
1: all can be real sensitive anyway, so. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> um, and the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, I'm a firm believer in that if you don't have anything good to say, you know just keep your fucking mouth shut you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure
0: you know because you're not helping anybody you're not helping readers or authors saying this this writer is a piece of shit because he's just this writer you didn't enjoy is all you can say about
1: a writer you know yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's agree. great i so, agree there's, there's, so, I there's the flip by that too kind of what has made me cautious too because I've seen a lot of people who will rave about a book I know the uh, person and then I'll go read the book and I'm, it just really wasn't that good yeah. And I, I guess I won't when I do rave about a book I want people to believe me I guess yeah me hard to balance a little bit because you want to do nice things for people that you're friends with but you also want like your opinion to matter I don't know
0: Yeah, and we end up in that situation quite a bit where we're reading friends' books because we have a lot of friends who are authors who want to be here, you know. Yeah. Um, So we do, but I I try to, you know, I try to stay very, very neutral in my opinion about it when we talk about those things, unless, like I told you, I know for a fact that, you know, people who take the recommendation will be glad they did. Yeah. Well, or at least I assume. I don't say. I can't say no, even though I'm not that arrogant. But
1: <laughs> now, was uh, you, in a car or something? I thought I heard car door shut. Oh my, my, my window's open, and that was my
0: neighbor's car door. Oh okay. Yeah. I'm uh,
1: podcast.
0: Yeah. My <laughs> wife. My wife told me two weeks ago that I should put the air conditioners in. Uh, no, it's way too fucking early i'm sitting here with all the windows open dying (laughs) so anyway uh john um any uh huge news that you want to share or anything else that you want to make sure we get talked
1: about before we wrap this up not really guys i I really appreciate it Um, for me things have been slow lately um because i've been in a real um work mode on on what's coming next, but I am really excited about what I'm working on. Uh, and hopefully this will be the, the next one you guys see from me, because like I said, my agent's on board with it and we're close to, um, to, you know, trying to send it out to some folks. So excellent. Excellent. Awesome.
0: Um, and w- when you get to that stage, I have confidence in you, John. Um, definitely give it, give us plenty of notice so we can get you on here. In a timely fashion, because we're getting
1: we're booked to yeah. we're yeah, booked to like December now. That's oh, know, have a, problem yeah. to have a good problem. To have. Yeah, I wouldn't expect yeah. any anything coming out before uh, before uh, 2022 yeah. with yeah. like it. So, but yeah, I'll we'll, keep in touch with you guys. Yeah, we'll make and, sure we get close to the date on whatever mm-hmm. you release. Oh, that would be awesome. And and again, I appreciate everything both of you guys do for authors and for readers as well so and thanks for having me again uh, uh,
0: it's our pleasure you know and it, it really our gratifies pleasure. it gratifies me when people thank me for doing something that um that i think is a blast so you know yeah. we do we do this for fun not for you guys
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad that you guys enjoy it but it certainly fits, yeah. benefits yeah. us too so
0: yeah yeah uh, it's always good talking to you, John I think, you know, with my ADHD I think I call you Hank or John every
1: other sentence but, it, um, uh, <laughs> um, I've got in real life that call me Hank now, too, for some reason, yeah. so I'm used to it <laughs> uh, Whatever It's totally yeah. cool <laughs> um, But, uh, yeah, we
0: are uh, huge fans of Hank Early and John Mantooth um, I will happily recommend any book the band writes under any name Uh he writes it under. Um, And y'all should really check him out if you haven't, you know, because his work is a treat. Thank you so much, guys. Thank Thank you for being here, John.
2: Yeah, thanks, John.
0: Take care, guys. (laughs) Have a good night. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing?